morning, Gator Nation. Welcome back to the In All Kinds of Weather Forecast, special post-South Carolina victory episode of the In All Kinds of Weather Forecast. I'm your host, Neil Schulman. You can follow me on Twitter at All Kinds Weather, on Instagram at All Kinds Weather Blog, on Facebook and YouTube under the name In All Kinds of Weather. And co-host Chris Yanes also with us today. You can follow him on Twitter at Mr. Crispitz. And we've got a post-South Carolina victory episode to bring you all today. It is it is not the crown achievement of Billy Napier's tenure. We will still say that that is the Utah game. And, of course, Florida will be shooting for a bit more than just beating the South Carolina Gamecocks. But, nonetheless, a super, super sweet victory today to discuss because it's a dose of payback against Spencer Rattler, a dose of payback against South Carolina last year, and, and just putting the college football world on notice that, you know, what, what what we saw at points earlier this year against, you know, Kentucky and South Florida and even against Missouri just, just wasn't the Gator standard. And, you know, the Florida Gators are going to shoot higher than that. And I think we saw that um, in this game for 60 minutes. So before we get into all that, though, I talk about our sponsors slash partners. We are proudly partnered with the Gator Good Foundation, the nonprofit organization that sends underprivileged Gator fans to the swamp. For those of you all that are new listeners, the Gator Good Foundation collects donations from fans and uses them to bring someone to his or her first ever Gator football game. If you believe that you or someone you know is worthy of the honor for next year, please email us GatorGoodFoundation at gmail.com. Of course, donations are always very much appreciated. So to donate to our cause, please go to our website, GatorGoodFoundation.com, and click on the Donate button. Second, we are proudly sponsored by Stingray Branding. These folks will put a sting into your marketing and deliver results that will wow your clients. Whether it's web design, logo design, branding, graphic design, social media management, search engine optimization, marketing strategy, or mobile app design, Stingray Branding has you covered. If you or someone you know needs professional help in any of the above, here are three great reasons why you should choose Stingray Branding. One, especially this time of year, we thank our veterans by saying thank you for your service. And well, this is a veteran-owned business, so I can't think of a much better way to properly thank those who serve our country than by giving them our business. Two, it's run by a UF alum and diehard Gator fan. And three, they have the in all kinds of other stamp of approval because they did our new logo and our new website and the Gator Good Foundation website and the new Gator Collective logo and the new Gator Collective website. And they do all the marketing for the Charleston area Gator Club. Side note, that's got to be a lot of fun right now being a Gator fan in, in Charleston. Um, but so, yeah, they do all that Gator related work. So, if you are listening to this podcast and you need help in any of the aforementioned areas, rest assured that Stingray Branding will more than take care of you. To view their services and rates, go to stingraybranding.com. And with that said, Chris, uh, you were at the game. I actually, for the first time, aside from Eastern Washington all year, was not in the swamp for a Gator football game this year. But, uh, I mean, how was the atmosphere? What did it feel like to beat the Gamecocks to you being in the stands after, especially after what we saw last year? Yeah, that was that was such a fun atmosphere, fun time. I mean, we got there 
a little before Gator Walk and we're able to see it. And even Gator Walk was packed. It, the atmosphere was pretty electric for that. And the tailgate scene was pretty good. I think it helped that it was probably the nicest weather game yet this season being a November game. Folks, I think like to travel down for those. Uh, I was talking to my buddy who works for, for the tailgate guy set up and he was saying this was actually behind LSU, the second highest attended tailgate uh, of the season for them. So the, the atmosphere was there for sure. And when you got in the stadium, like it did get loud on some of those defensive plays, the turnovers that happened throughout the game, the long run by uh, Trevor Etienne, it, the crowd was roaring. So it was definitely a lot of fun. And it felt like a classic, you know, old school Florida beatdown where the fans just really got to enjoy the game from start to finish. Yeah. I mean, we'll definitely talk about that in a minute. I, I led off with that for a reason. And that is because as I'm sure you enjoyed it, there were some potential, very likely, I should say, likely potential future Florida Gators in attendance, most notably Jaden Rashada, who we just flipped from Miami. By the way, we haven't even talked about that on our podcast yet. That happened right after uh while right we were sleeping. Brian. <laughs> yeah, we didn't have a chance. It was it was at what like 12 30 in the morning on the East Coast. Um, but yeah, I mean, we'll, we will, trust me, we'll, we will put time aside to talk about that, but that he was in attendance. Lucas Simmons, a potential flip target from FSU was in attendance. Roderick Kearney, another guy we flipped from FSU in the past in attendance, tons of other recruits in attendance, that kind of game, not just the win, but the way the crowd reacts to it. The guys looking up at the stands, the bright lights, once the sun goes down, the sky's pitch black, the fireworks going off, they look up and go, you know what? I could be the one making a play to set those fireworks off, to make these fans go that nuts. I could be the one generating that kind of excitement for the fans. You got to think that that had a big impact on a lot of these kids. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. And it, you know, the, the, I shout out to the fan base for showing out, you know, because they do make that atmosphere, what it can be for those recruits to see and help them envision themselves in the swamp on future Saturdays and seasons. So that was a very great showing for the recruits to see that and a great win in emphatic fashion too. It always helps when you have the atmosphere, when you have the, the, the primetime matchup, the fireworks, like you say, you know, all the bells and whistles for the visit. But when you'd get a big time SEC win like that, it's icing on the cake. So, and it also was great to get that new commitment of Jaden Rashada there with some guys like Desmond Ricks, who we're hoping to add to the class and this this class is starting to come together. And I think that just goes to show, you know, I don't know how much we want to get into maybe recruiting on this podcast. It might be worth just having a little bit of a segment on it. But I think that the fans were definitely living in the moment a little bit with Hormani McLean. It was a colossal miss. But, you know, at the time, we all thought the same thing about Jaden Rashada. And now let's fast forward four months later. And here we are with his commitment now. And that just goes to show the great persistence that this coaching staff has. They never stop recruiting. They're always closing. Billy Napier and company, they don't give up on a kid if they really want him. And that was the case for Roderick Kearney. That was the case for Jaden Rashada. And I'm willing to wager that's the case for a lot of other commitments out there that we still want from that are committed to other schools. So I would not put it past this staff to make a lot more flips here coming up in the near future before signing day. And I think this class is shaping up to be something near the top five like we envisioned. Uh, before the McCormani McLean commitment. I would just caution about Desmond Ricks that we're up against a totally different type of animal there and that LSU and Alabama are, are just blue bloods of the SEC that are very, very similar type of schools to Florida, whereas Miami 
this is a very different kind of place to commit to. You're committing to a beach, to the nightlife, to the, well, to the bags. You're not, I mean, yeah, kind of at Alabama and LSU, but you're also committing to SEC schools with proven pedigrees of developing talent and putting them in the NFL at a high rate. So that may be a little harder for Florida to do. Um, but you know what? He seemed to enjoy the atmosphere. There, there, there was a picture floating around of him with a couple of fans after the game that said Desmond Ricks come home. That made the rounds. He seemed to be genuinely happy there. I don't know that we want to go into recruits too much here, but I thought that that was definitely noteworthy to start the pot off that every time Florida shows out in the swamp and puts on a show like that, there are ramifications for it, positive ramifications for it that extend well beyond just beating that team. But let's let's zoom in a little bit here and just talk about this one game. South Carolina obviously was the beginning of the end last year for Dan Mullen. It was the end for Todd Grantham and for John Hevesy. I think a lot of fans kind of knew the program was heading in a downward spiral at that point. This year, it's the exact opposite. Program's going in the almost the exact inverse direction. I think the road up will be a little harder than the road down was easy for Florida. So it won't be quite as symmetrical, but Florida is definitely trending up right now. And they proved it by beating a team that humiliated us the last time we played them in Columbia, South Carolina last year. And that's just where the good feelings from this game start. They go a lot deeper than that. Defense a couple weeks ago, awful. The offense was you know, hit or miss for the first couple months of the year. You know, it was good for, for Utah. It was terrible the next two weeks against Kentucky and against USF. It was good against Tennessee. Uh, I mean, Eastern Washington doesn't count. Missouri was was bad again. Last couple of weeks, we've seen consistency from these two teams. So now we've seen the consistency on both sides of the ball because we saw the defense step it up for a full 60 minutes. We saw the offense, for the most part, do its job. And we saw Florida just dismantle a team that, embarrassed us last year so really there's a lot of different things coming together to feel good about and that is why i think fans should be thrilled yeah definitely i think that the everything's starting to really look up for this team we we finally got there was some a question a few weeks ago whether or not we're going to get bowl eligibility i didn't have a doubt that we would but to, you know this victory solidifies that we are going to a bowl game again this year and likely a better bowl game than we were in last year you know, pending that we do pull off the win next week against South Carolina or Vanderbilt, rather, and then have a showdown in Tallahassee against a ranked Florida State for potentially an eight and four finish. And eight and four would be a fantastic finish for this squad, considering everything we've been to, all the highs and lows that you speak of, and kind of where Vegas had us at the beginning of the season, where we did our percentage breakdowns as well. We were around seven wins. So we're trending to at least hit that mark. And hopefully maybe exceed it with a victory at the end of the season against Florida State, an arch rival, who looks pretty good right now. They do look very good. I do think Florida, if we're going to compare, looks uh, is long-term better because of the recruiting class that we potentially are going to be bringing in. But a lot of momentum for this program right now over the, after this victory against South Carolina and against Texas A&M, two teams we had to beat to show that we're making progress in the Billy Napier era in, his, in year one. And I think that's what we really were just looking for all along was progress. So it's good to see Anthony Richardson play efficient and and, and not give turn the ball over. I mean, he still is, is playing turnover free ball, which is great to see. And, you know, this squad, the defense has now played six consecutive shutout quarters. I mean, you can't really count the six given up because that was a special teams miscue. 
by giving up the fake punt for a touchdown. So this should have been a shutout in all in all in all sense of you know purposes. It should have been a shutout, and we probably should have scored a little bit more offensively too, because we we had three turnovers that only resulted in seven points off turnovers. So it should have been more, but nonetheless, you have to be really excited about how we're starting to close this close the season out strong. And and hopefully, you know, you never know. Uh, we we went out, go eight and four. Get a nice little bowl game, maybe even be ranked. There were, I don't know if anybody noticed it. We did get six AP votes today. So that was the first time that we have received votes to be ranked, I believe, since the Tennessee game. We're going into the Tennessee weekend when we were ranked 20th. So a big improvement there for us. And, you know, I'm happy. I'm really ecstatic where, where we sit right now. Well, so you, you mentioned progress. And this is where I want to zoom in even more. I just talked about all the different things I think Florida fans should be happy about, the consistency we've seen on offense the last couple of games. I mean, even the second half against Georgia, I would say, was was consistently respectable because that's a very good, very talented defense for sure. Texas A&M's defense isn't great, but it, it is still an SEC team. And you can say the same about South Carolina. And Florida did what it was supposed to do now on offense for five halves in a row. And on defense, it's not what it's supposed to do for three halves in a row, literally not giving up a point. So that's all great. But even further zooming in now, Greg McElroy, uh, during SEC Media Days, had a quote that I really, really appreciated. And he was talking about, I think the, the, the topic of conversation was, among the panelists, does Florida have an outside shot to be an SEC title contender? And Greg McElroy just rolled his eyes and he goes, stop it. Stop thinking about that. You, you can't control that now. You're not ready yet. You're not ready for Georgia. You're not ready for the can we beat Alabama talk. You're not ready for the CFP talk. You got blown away by South Carolina last year. You lost to Kentucky last year, which, okay, we didn't fix that. But you lost to Missouri last year. Fix those problems first. Don't worry about Georgia. Don't worry about Alabama. Worry about beating the teams that, you know, you say you're the Florida Gators and you're all high and mighty and you should be ahead of them. Well, they all beat you last year. So fix that first, step by step. It's not going to happen that quickly that you just overtake Georgia and Alabama. It's a stepping stone game. Take care of the things that you say as Gator fans that you say should not happen. And then in 23, four, five, six, seven, yeah, then you go ahead and worry about Georgia. But take care of those programs first. Florida didn't do that earlier in the year. They lost to Kentucky again for the third time in five years. Missouri's just not a good football team. So Florida did win that game. But, I mean, in the swamp, you would think that they're supposed to. I don't even think they covered the spread that day against Missouri. Uh, it might have been a push, but it was close. Okay. All right. Either way, an, an underwhelming performance for sure. And they come against South Carolina, a team that embarrassed them last year, and they just blow their doors off. And that, to me, I know South Carolina has problems. They that that fan base right now, t- coming from a guy who you know works for a company in Charleston, that fan base thinks of Marcus Satterfield, their OC. What Florida fans thought of Todd Grantham last year, like it it is a poisonous feeling that they feel towards him. So they they are not without issues, and that's not just the fan base being irrational, which I mean they are. That I will go to my grave saying that that is the worst fan base in college football. Only Tennessee and Miami give them chase on that one, but but they are right about this one because there are statistics and there is game tape to back that feeling up. But Florida still shut them out on defense, at least. That is something to be proud of. That is a stepping stone. And you want to talk about taking care of those teams that you say you should be better than? Well. That was an opportunity on Saturday, and Florida did that. And that makes that win really, really sweet. Yeah, no, I agree. They 
they're starting to beat they're starting to beat the teams this year that they hadn't beaten consistently the last several years the Missouri's the South Carolinas of the world hopefully we'll, we will get to the point where we're beating the Kentuckys and then and then worrying about turning our attention to the newly found Tennessee and Georgia but I you know and the other thing I'll say is uh, Spencer Rattler I think Gator fans remember he embarrassed this team in in the 2020 Cotton Bowl you know he was Gator chomping all up and down the field as they beat us 55 to 20 like a drum and and this year was anything but that. He was looking dumbfounded after he hit the slant route. Kamari Wilson puts the the nice big hit on. Shout out to him. He had a great game. She puts the big hit on South Carolina receiver. He coughs the ball off and into Trey Dean's hands. So and all he could do was just look, you know, dumbfounded of what just happens. It was it was it was really fun to see those kind of moments where he he you know it was the other he was on the other side of the uh, of the stick on that one. So. Good, good, good win all around, and you know you got to be pleased with the progress that Billy Napier is making and moving forward, and and hopefully we just we continue to close this year strong. Yeah, Rattler is one uh, from Oklahoma that Gator chomp, and and then he then he goes on Twitter and goes, "It was a good matchup." Like, yeah, okay, half our team was out, and you guys had your starters, and now you see what it's like when Florida has its actual team out there, and you don't have a ton of talent around you, like a Marvin Mims. Uh, Ramondre Stevenson, uh, guys like that on your offensive line who could just ball out and bail out your deficiencies, which, by the way, were on full display with bright halogen lights just intensifying them. He hit one big play on third and 17. Aside from that, just about every completion was a check down or a safety valve or a, or a quick slant or something. He didn't, he just didn't look comfortable throwing the football. And I, I mean, I didn't think he was an all-American by any means when he came to South Carolina. I thought, all right, he's going to be an, an average, maybe slightly above average quarterback. Florida just made him look bad. And I think here's where we go to the defense, start handing out some praise, Chris. That's a testament to what this new look front looks like for the Gators. I think part of it is, is Spencer Rattler just not being good, but I think that there is certainly some credit to hand out this Florida front. Yeah, there's two games in a row now where since Britton Cox's dismissal, Antoine Powell-Ryland has started with Princely Umin-Yilin, and this defensive line now is starting to get pressure on quarterbacks and have them force them to be uncomfortable and make bad decisions. Since Rattler didn't really necessarily make bad decisions in this game, he just didn't have anywhere to throw the ball or have the time to throw the ball. So that's where you say he was hitting the checkdowns, the quick slants, the quick passes. But he, you know, he was being pressured and hurried all night long. And that is a testament to uh, Antoine Powell Ryman, Prince Uman Yelin, big Des Watson, you know, made a maybe the play of the night. I don't know. It's a tough one to pick between, but that was just ripping the ball from the South Carolina running back and then stiff arming Spencer Rattler. Uh, you know, they're gonna put that one up in the Louvre, just how beautiful that picture was. Uh, maybe they'll remake the Heisman Trophy with Big Dez on top of it after that. But, you know, defensive line has really stepped up in the last two games. And it's fun to see the progress there. And a lot of what we've talked about is that Patrick Tony's defense is predicated on getting pressure to the quarterback. And they don't blitz a lot of guys. They 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 do a lot of four-man blitz sets. So it is imperative that these our defensive linemen get to the quarterback in order for this defense to work. And we're starting to see that in the last two weeks. So I don't think it's a coincidence that now we've played six consecutive shutout quarters and it's all been mirrored with the the improvement with the defensive line getting pressure on the quarterback. So definitely a huge shout out to the defense 
for, for that. And hopefully it continues. Yeah. I don't think that rather necessarily played a terrible game. I don't think he's just, I just don't think he's that good of a field reader. He did. There were two plays. He had uh Juju McDowell and he had, I think it was Xavier Leggett, both wide open on these wheel routes. One of them might've been like a sluggo to the side, but he, in the second quarter, he had both of them, he had each of them open for at least a 20, 25 yard gain. Didn't even look in their direction. Just, just missed the throws. So I, you know, I, I didn't have that all 22 angle for every single play of the game. So I don't know what else he may have missed, but he definitely missed those two. But anyway, the defensive line, there's a line that goes around about Damian Pierce, how he, you know, I'm sure you've heard it, how he's, he runs angry, right? How he's an angry runner. These defensive linemen for Florida, when they're coming out of their stance, they're, they're angry. They look mad. Like they take it personal. Like, it, it looks like they are genuinely upset with the offensive line because that's that's how they play. That's the intensity that they shoot out of their stances with. And they didn't do that earlier in the year. I mean, on some plays, they did. I guess I mean, against Georgia, they kind of did because that's you know, that's Georgia. I don't know that I said about Tennessee. Utah, I think they did it at points here and there throughout the game. Utah also does have a solid offensive line. South Carolina and Texas A&M, they they did it pretty consistently. Princely, especially just firing off that stance angrily. He's like, he's genuinely pissed at the offensive line. And honestly, he should be the defensive line should be after the first two months of game tape that they rolled out there. And this is why, you know, it's good to have some patience, some belief in the long-term process when things don't look great. I mean, I I get it. The losses losses piss me off. I hate them. I hate losing. I get it. But this is why when you know re- bad results come into play the first month or two of the season with a first year head coach, it's not the end of the world. So while yes, I was I was really not happy with the Kentucky performance. I was in the stands for USF almost at midfield with a you know an, an increased price ticket. I was genuinely infuriated about that performance. I said, all right. You know, first year, they're going to get their guys in next year. And I believe he's going to get more out of the guys he currently has. Let's just wait and see. That was my messaging after that game. I mean, Chris, I've missed on predictions before. I'm not, I don't bat a thousand there, but I think I got that one right. Yeah, no, you did. You definitely did. And, you know, I I, I just, I remember I, I talked about it when I wrote an article earlier this season. I said, like, you got to trust the process. You got to trust Billy Napier's journey and what he's building here. And it, it, you know, you have to put things in perspective. We lost to the number one, the number five, and the number seven team. Now the SEC Western Division champ and likely the Eastern Division champ on our schedule. Okay. We beat now a top 10 team in Utah or Utah. They're either right around top 10, really close. They're in so, top 15. Okay. Yeah. Like they're top, solid top 15 team. Kentucky, up until they're upset to Vanderbilt, was a top 25 team. They're all respectable losses, and all losses that we said going into the season were very possible. We haven't necessarily lost to the teams that we shouldn't lose to. I would say I'd want the Kentucky game back. Now, having seen them play the last couple of weeks, I think that's if we line it up again, I think that's a game where we probably could win it. But you've got to be, we've won the games we're supposed to win. And now we have two more games left on the schedule one we should win, and one that's a 50 50 game. 
You get that 50-50 game, you get another ranked opponent, another ranked victory this season. That's two ranked wins in the first year of the Billion Napier era. That'd be eight and four, a solid bowl game, potentially ranked. So things that like we I think we're kind of talking about here is that just things are, are getting better. And that's just a message to the fan base. Sometimes it's important to be patient and let the staff do what their plan is. And it, sometimes the plan does take time. And we're we're still at the very beginning of the plan, even if we let's say pan out and do the things we're talking about and finish the year strong. It, it, there's still a long way to go before we get ultimately to the, to the goals we want to accomplish. Yeah. I mean, it, the plan takes patience on the recruiting trail. The, we saw that with Jaden Rashada and Roderick Kearney. We might be seeing it play out with Lucas Simmons right now. I don't know. We'll mm -hmm. find out. And it's going to take time just the same way on the field. So one thing though, I think a lot of fans are talking about, we got to talk about Anthony Richardson because I, I I don't think it's the right move for him to go pro, but there are there's certainly talent there, and I wouldn't be surprised if he says, you know what, you know I I might make some money off NIL deals. I could probably make ten times that if I go. Do we think that we we just saw his last game in the swamp? It's tough to say. I think it's I think it's 50-50 right now. Uh, there's a lot of factors that go into it. I think that, you know, obviously it's going to depend about where he gets mocked. And right now he's being mocked top 10 or some top 10, at least first round. That's a lot of money to pass up. And I know we keep saying this is NIL. We can get an NIL deal here. But keep in mind. The sign-on bonuses in the salary in the NFL, not to mention this, the sponsorships he could secure there, are exponentially higher than NIL deals. NIL, NIL money is great, but it's not going to keep you in college if you are a first-round pick. You know, I think it's it's a question of whether or not he wants to continue, if he thinks he needs to continue to develop before he goes to the NFL. Personally, I think he sh could use another year. In, in Billy Napier's system is very pro style. It's of the Shanahan mold. And that is a type of offense that he would see at the next level, playing at the next level. And it would probably behoove him to come back another year in Billy Napier's system and learn it and improve and get better. That being said, if any of us were offered that amount of money and given that opportunity, it'd be hard to pass up. So I think it's a 50-50 proposition. Obviously, Anthony grew up a Gator fan. He's from Gainesville. I'm sure there's a, an emotional decision for him. This isn't just like some guy that was from California and he came here and played three years. This is a decision where, okay, I grew up, I'm born and raised in, in, in Gainesville. I grew up in under the shadow of Tim Tebow winning national championships. I want to potentially do that here at the University of Florida too. You know, next year, this team is returning a lot of players we're going to bring in a great recruiting class. We're potentially going to hit the transfer portal hard and improve this roster. There, There is a foreseeable, you know, there is something that you could see where this team does make a dramatic jump where we're competing for an Eastern Division title, maybe going to Atlanta next year. And is that enough to entice somebody like Anthony, who is comfortable in his NIL agreements right now and the money he's making for himself and his family, whether or not he wants to then come back? So it, it's tough. I, I, it's such a tough decision. I think we're going to have to see how the next couple games play out, too, and see how he plays. But we'll see. That's that's a nice complex argument that you just laid out, kind of in in the in favor of both. 
I, I have two words in response to all that. Justin Herbert. What do you think? Because that, you know, he came back to Oregon and mm-hmm. he made himself a lot of money and he is doing quite well right now in the NFL. Do you yeah. think something like that could possibly sway AR to come back? Well, there's only study. The only, I know I, that's a great case study. Um, you know, I, I don't know. We'll see. I mean, the, the, there's also the problem of he could get hurt and I know, you know, you have the insurance money, but it's still not the same thing as what you could accomplish as a college quarterback so, or I'm sorry, as a pro quarterback getting to that second contract. You never will if you get hurt in college and he has a history of injuries at the college level. Even he's played hurt this year. So I don't know. It, it it's it's tough. It, it really is a tough decision. I don't think this is something that he's already made his mind up. Uh, I think he's going to have to think about it. I think he's going to have to get this, you know, feedback from the NFL. I think he's going to have to talk to his agents. He's going to talk to the coach Napier and the coaching staff here. This is going to be a multifaceted decision. It's it's not just going to be one guy, or you know, him making a decision uh, willy nilly. Like this is going to take time, and I. We'll probably know between the time of Florida State and the bowl game. Because obviously, if he's coming back, he's probably going to play in the bowl game. If he's not coming back, I highly doubt he plays in the bowl game. Just the way college football is moving now. So this is Unless he doesn't know going into that bowl game. Unless he's still undecided. Right. I I think he, I don't know. Something just tells me he's going to get advice to probably make a decision before the bowl game. Because... You don't, there's not a lot to gain from playing one more game. Like, you either are going to the NFL or you're not going to the NFL. And just the way things are right now in the college game, guys don't play the bowl game anymore if they're going to the NFL. They're a high draft pick. It's just no, there's no reason to go play. Let's say we play in the Gator Bowl or the Outback Bowl. You know, I'm old school. I would love guys to play in those bowl games, you know, for pride and love of their school. But I understand why guys don't do that because there's a big paycheck waiting for them. And what happened to Jake Butt a couple of years ago in the Orange Bowl with Michigan yeah. changed the game. It's you're going to have guys sit out now and that we experienced that in the cotton bowl a couple of years ago. So I, I and even last year. year to a certain yeah. extent, I mean, it, it just, there's nobody wants to play in these bowl games when nothing's necessarily on the line, which is why we're talking about playoff expansion now, because playoff expansion, as much as I hate it, is at least going to take away the, uh, it's going to take away those opportunities for players to sit out and they're actually going to want to play in meaningful games. So I don't know. It's it's tough. I think my prediction is we're going to know by middle of December if he's coming back. Um, we'll see, we'll see. But I wish him the best of luck either way. And I really it just it hope the fans just enjoyed. I enjoyed his last game potentially if it was his last game in the swamp Saturday. It was cool to see, and it's been fun to watch him. And I'm going to enjoy these last two games, and I hope he balls out, regardless if he comes back or not. Honestly, the only surprise to me about all the bowl opt-outs we're seeing is that it took all the way until 2019 for it to start happening. I would have been, I, I mean, if you had, if if I had started following college football around like 2001 or two or so, I mean, I did as a little kid, like in '96 when we won the Natty. I was a two-year and ten-month-old little toddler gator chomping. We smacked FS here now, but like if I if I grew up around college football. Or as a you know three four five six seven year old, and I was told, yeah, it's just the norm that you know the seniors and and high projected draft pick juniors aren't going to play in the bowl game. I would have just said, yeah, that makes sense, and just not thought twice about it. In fact, when I first learned that this that the guys who weren't coming back next year did play 
in non BCS title game or now CFP games that if, if they did come back, the, the guys that did not come back would play in those non big games. I'd have been stunned. I'm like that doesn't make any sense. What, what's there to gain for them? They're only, it's only going to result in them getting hurt or them not playing well and hurting their draft stock. What do they have to gain? They're done. So I, I don't know, but yeah, like you said, definitely hope that Gator fans enjoy the ride with him because it, it was a special one. Now, that 81-yard touchdown run against LSU is probably going to be his his GOAT play. Um, I mean, his, his USF run last year is probably up there too just because he, he, he gutted it out across the finish line despite getting hurt on that play. So that was just cool to see him do that for the love of his school, but – yeah, I mean, I hope we enjoyed the ride because if that if that was it, it was definitely an entertaining one. We definitely saw him dazzle his athletic abilities for for most of his tenure. He was he was you know inaccurate at times. He definitely did not hit every throw we would have liked him to have made. He's definitely not going to rank up there with Tim Tebow or even Kyle Trask for the list of greatest QBs ever. But he had a great run. Unless he comes back, if he, I mean, that's the thing. Like, right, that, I'm saying, I'm saying, if he's done, yeah. Yeah, if he is done, um, that's just that's like the the part of me is like, wouldn't it be fun to watch him for one more season though, and and to make if he does come back another year, you obviously hope it's a championship run because with a talent like his, you know, I'm kind of t- like it was sad when Kyle Trask came back in 2020 and he balled out and he didn't win the Heisman or he didn't win a championship because like a guy like him deserved both in mean, the way he played, and if Anthony comes back, I want it to be. A run like that, a special run like that, and he, you know, he would deserve it. So, and it would be his fourth year at the University of Florida, so it could be his opportunity to get his degree and then move on. Um, but let me let me just ask this: If what do you think? What do you think we do if he doesn't come back? Because we now have two quarterbacks committed. We have a guy in Jalen Kitna who a lot of fans are, you know, they like him as a backup. He's solid, but we don't really know if he's got all the tools in the world to be an elite quarterback at Florida. And then obviously we brought in Jack Miller, who we've not seen at all this year. So I'm curious to get your opinion on what you think we'll end up doing. I mean, I have my thoughts, but maybe you have yours on where we're going to go. So I definitely don't want to make a decision on that. I don't want to make a judgment on that right now because I kind of want to see how spring ball plays out. Like, I don't know if someone like Marcus Stokes comes in and I know his completion percentage in high school isn't that good, but maybe, maybe when he has Florida receivers like Aiden Mizell and Eugene Wilson, it just, I don't know, maybe he starts hitting 70% of his passes. Maybe Jaden Rashada comes in and he's just a baller. Like you can't necessarily gauge that. I don't think he's played the best competition in California, but I don't know. Maybe, maybe you know, him dealing with Mizell and you know, and Wilson and, and maybe Andy Jean along the way too. I mean, like maybe those guys just have a chemistry that just works for them. Maybe Kitna doesn't for some reason. I don't know. Like I, I want to see that in spring ball before I make my mind up on that. But obviously Kitna uh, and Miller would have the, the edge as of now because they've been in the program. They've been in college or just more experienced and older, but Definitely want to see what kind of chemistry uh, the two QB commits have with their their pass catchers before I can make up my mind there. And by the way, how about that? How about those guys being the best of friends? They're they're posting on Instagram and Twitter about how they're how they're buds. How, you know, 
let's work out together. Let's work. You know, let's iron sharpens iron. Let's go. Let's compete against each other. There's no adversarial, you know, tones there. It's all friendship. It's all teamwork. It's all, you know, let's, let's go accomplish our business here. It's just awesome to see. Yeah, no, I agree. That was good to see. And you, you got to love that guys want to come in and compete with each other. And, 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 you know, everybody knows like one of those guys is is likely going to transfer whoever wins the job. Ultimately, one day when they compete for the starting role, the loser will transfer. That's just how college football works now. So but if they can push one another to be the best that they're capable of being, then that's awesome. That's that's the best that we need here at the University of Florida. And that's how we're going to get better. Answering my original question, if he does leave, my gut says we still go in and take a transfer portal quarterback, and we have a competition between the freshmen. We have a competition between who that transfer is, and we have a competition with Jalen Kitna if he if he does stay, because you know there there is that possibility too. You just you never know if if he wants to to come back. Uh, if the room is getting crowded, that is not a handpicked quarterback that Billy Napier wanted so he Billy might want to completely just remake the entire room and make the entire roster in his image I think that's something that we're going to be looking forward to next season is that I think it's not a secret there's going to be potentially a lot of roster turnover this coming year so we'll see it's going to be interesting but nonetheless big victory over South Carolina and I think we now want to probably get in in final word on that yeah, so uh, before we before we do real quick, got to shout out a couple other guys who definitely did play their final games in the swamp. Number one, first and foremost, Ventrell Miller. That 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 guy. I mean, chef, Chef's kiss first of all to that tackle for loss and then gritty celebration. That that was just so so warming, so so cleansing of the soul to see that because that guy has played so well. He's played so hard for a defense that's just been so horrid this year. He has given his heart and soul for this program since 2018. Still remember that that pick six against Idaho like it was yesterday off of Mason Petrino going the distance, 82 yards. He has done nothing but just give every ounce of blood, sweat, and, and tear material that he has to give for this program for five years now. I mean, yeah, he didn't play 2021, but – he worked that year. He was still like a coach behind the scenes. He still worked physically to get himself back because, you know, rehab is no joke from that. So Ventrell, thank you, my dude. That was just to, to see you go out like that, to see you, you know, say farewell to the swamp and then you know, sign all those autographs at the end. Just it, it, it embodied everything that everything that being a gator is all about. You are you are a true gator, a true gator legend, uh, one of the better linebackers we've had in a in a, I mean, Florida has produced quite a few of them, as we talked about with David Reese. They have a little bit of a legacy there going. So your name will definitely be mentioned up there as you know, one of the all-time gator defensive leaders. So thank you for that. Also, you know, Trey Dean turned it a good game as well. I mean, we, we've given him some flack on this podcast. We've said, I mean, you and I have both said, and I stand by this, you know, given the tape that, that he rolled out there in the first month or so of the season, should not have been playing. He comes out there against South Carolina. He plays well. He makes a couple of nice tackles in the open field. He has one where he he's behind the play. He's actually out of position, but he, he sprints. He works to get back in position, and he dives and slaps the ankles together. Brings the guy down for a one-yard gain, and 
if he doesn't make that tackle, it's probably about a seven, eight yard gain. Anyway, yeah, shout out to him too. And Osiris Torrance on the offensive line. Thank you for all you've done. That was another great performance by you on the offensive line. We have seen all year long why you you were projected to be a first round pick had you gone to the NFL after last year. Definitely grateful that you chose to spend a year at the University of Florida to further your talents and loft yourself up even higher. Here's hoping you get that brick. So shout out to all the seniors. Thank you for all you've done. And I'm glad that we could send them out the right way with a game that uh, I think we're going to put to bed now, unless you have any other uh, final words to say about them. Yeah, no, I'm glad you, I'm glad you mentioned the seniors and it's, it was a great senior day and you obviously sent them out the way that they, they deserve to be sent out. And like, I, I agree on, you know, we, we were very critical of Trey Dean on this podcast and honestly, any podcast or radio show you listen to regarding the Florida Gators, they were very as critical of him, but he has played three consecutive good games put a lot of good things on tape and I'm happy for him because he's not coming back next year. He's going to the NFL and he needs to put together a strong tape here at the end in order to get drafted. And and I want him to get drafted because the more Gators they get drafted and have successful NFL careers, then it's easier to recruit at the university of Florida. It adds to the DBU legacy. So no, it's not that we were ever rooting against Trey Dean. We never were. We were just being critical of what we saw on tape and it was bad, but now he's put together three solid games where, you know, he's putting himself in a position where he might get picked up in the NFL draft, maybe a day two or three picks. So kudos to him. Happy for him. Ventral Miller is another guy. He, you know, he is a he is a Gator legend. In my mind, he's a Gator legend for what he did coming to this program, rising up and, and coming back from an injury and being the quarterback of the defense. This defense wouldn't be anything that it is without him. So thank you, Ventral Miller, for being a Gator great. And, and just thank you to all the seniors that have given everything they have to the University of Florida the last couple of years. Yeah, definitely. Um, and ma- maybe there is going to be a surprise or two junior that goes that we're not thinking about right now. That does happen from time to time. So, you know, if, if any draft eligible juniors that we may not be thinking of at the top of our minds right now, do you decide to go pro whoever you may be? I mean, we don't have your stats and game tape in front of our minds because we don't know who we're talking about, but you've obviously given a lot to this program the last couple of years, and obviously our our best wishes go out to you as well. So, all right, Chris, final word. We know the drill by now, play of the game, player of the game, and grades, and the grades are going to be really interesting, Um, but we saved those for last for that reason because make y'all hold on. So, play of the game to you is what? Player of the game, uh, I would play. say the play. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, beg your pardon. Play of the game. Play of the game. I think it's we mixed up be... the order of points this year anyway. So, no, yeah, <laughs> you're good. No, okay, no. So, we'll start with the play of the game. It was definitely Trevor Etienne's run of 85 yards down the field. They got the swamp just bumping at that time. And we were already up in the game. And then it, that just really blew the top off the, the building. And, and from there, we just really never looked back. You just knew that it was going to be our night and that this was going to be a route. So he guy's a special player. I know we keep saying it, but Trevor Etienne is a special player. He's going to be a gator great at the University of Florida, a guy that has a chance to get himself a brick at the University of Florida. That's how good he is. And I, I'm excited to see where his career goes here. That run was just vintage. It was vintage, and I think we're going to see a lot of those over the next at least two more seasons with him playing running back for the University of Florida. 
that's uh, that's definitely a logical pick, but I think you know the one I'm going to go with. I hate Spencer Rattler. I'll just put that out in the air. I hate his cockiness. I hate his arrogance. I hate how he gator chomped at us. I hate how he took a shot at my guy, James Houston. It was a good matchup. So I I quite thoroughly enjoyed Desmond Watson just stiff arming him into next July on that fumble return. That that was just absolutely sensational to watch. And the, the the feelings of euphoria that brimmed over and coursed through my veins at that moment. Just watching Spencer Rattler look stupid. That feeling of pure elation existed in quantities that would put an Oxford scientist's brain out of commission if he tried to calculate them. Chef's kiss doesn't even come close to describing the sports-related joy that built out of me at that moment. Because, you know, we always like to quantify it as sports-related joy versus real-life joy, like, you know, getting married, having a kid, getting your dream job, getting a raise or a promotion at work, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So sports-related joy in that moment, absolutely off the charts. Des Watson, I mean, and how about that athleticism, too? First to take the ball away. Then to to know how to carry it like a running back, you know, he doesn't get those, he doesn't go through those drills in practice. He knows how to protect that football. The presence of mind to continue to hold it while delivering that stiff arm, that's almost Justin Trato against Matt Stafford in 2008, like level of awareness. That that's really impressive. So that to me is not even a competition. That that's a no-brainer for my play of the game. Uh player of the game. For you is who? Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna. I'm gonna shout out uh, the the running back. Uh, the running backs again, and I, I would. I would probably say it's, it's Montreal Johnson, being that he had 161 yards. But I mean, you can go between Montreal Johnson and Trevor Etienne. Uh, the two running backs together, just combining for 261 yards. That is going to be just a fun duo to watch over the next couple of years. So for me, I'm. I'm just gonna go co. Maybe maybe I'm taking one of the guys you had in mind, but those two guys were just electric. They were fun. They they, they we we didn't even need to put the pressure on Anthony Richardson to throw the ball on this game because we just ran it so effectively. And those guys combining for 261 yards, two touchdowns. Like I mentioned, the long run with Trevor Etienne. I mean, they're just two great players. So those guys are my players of the game. Yeah. So I was having a tough time deciding who I was going to go with on the defense side of the ball. I was down to a couple different candidates. I was kind of agonizing over which one I was going to go with. Now you've given me that out. I can take that. So I'm going to go, I'm going to go try players of the game. I'm going to go with three. I'm going to go Ventro Miller, number one, Prince Liam and Ellen is number two, and Antoine Powell Ryland is number three. Ventro Miller, the senior, we talked about him moments ago, uh, four tackles, two of them for loss. The one, the gritty, just the chef's kiss on the celebration there. That's great. Then the other two guys, Princely. And Antoine Powell Ryland. They're, they're different positions, they're different types of players. I think that these are the in their own ways, the two guys that stepped up the most after we kicked off Brent and Cox. Because they have they have different roles. Cox is Cox was sort of that that hybrid role at Jack. Princely and, and Powell Ryland are, are not exactly, I don't think, fits for that, but they they do have qualities that you could sort of shove into that role. And they both balled out. They put a lot of good stuff on tape. Uh, I think they both had a sack or actually no uh, Princely. I think shared one with Dexter. Another one, by the way, we may not see him again. That's a guy who's got tremendous talent. He is a junior. He does have more eligibility, but we, we could see him go based on potential. So 
Uh, Jervon Dexter and and Princely shared a sack, and Powell Ryland got another one of Spencer Rattler. And as I just said, the feelings that I have for Spencer Rattler are are not very fond ones. So I I, I quite thoroughly enjoyed seeing him hit the turf. So that was all nice. Uh, great. Offense, defense, special teams, and coaching. Chris, after you. All right. So, offense. I'm going to give it an A. It ran for almost 400 yards on the ground. That was it was a, it was a, it was a great showing by them. The reason they don't get an A plus, honestly, is because they I think left points on the board or on the field, but not converting on those two drives where we got the fumble recoveries within South Carolina territory, but. Other than that, you know, just an outstanding day offensively, moving the football on the ground. Uh, so they're going to get a solid A. Defense, uh, I would go. Uh, I'm. I know. I know you're going to like. I know what you're going to give them. So I'm just going to say when I'm going to give them. I'm going to give them an A plus. They deserve an A plus. They played an outstanding game defensively. That that the, the point that the points that were given up weren't even defensive points. They were special teams. Who I'm about to get to their grade, but. Defense was just stellar. Like they deserve an A plus for everything we've given them. How many times they failed this year? They have earned a perfect score for this game. Special teams, special oh teams. Boy. Oh boy, <laughs> is it gonna be fun? Go. Talk about a high and a low. Uh, I'm gonna go. Man, I'm not gonna give them a failing grade just because, like, it. You're not. No, I'm not gonna give them a failing grade, but it's low. It's like a D minus. It's. It's bad. I know Neil. Neil's like beside himself right now. I'm being nice. Uh, maybe just because like the whole team just played just so good. They hit all their extra points. They did convert oh. on. They, <laughs> oh, they good. They hit the extra points. <laughs> <laughs> they converted on their their the one from Mahalik. Um, he you know he is still he's inconsistent, which is which is a problem. I I I still don't understand why we haven't seen Trace Mack this year. And he also was replaced on kickoffs uh, this game, which was on interesting. So I don't know if he's battling an injury he or was not, hurt. but he was, he hurt, was hurt. Okay. This this one game he was hurt. Before okay. So he was hurt. Different question. Okay. So maybe the health is what's been keeping him off the field this year. Uh, but I, I that's something that I think next year we're going to look at and we're going to say, mm, that's going to be a strong competition. Uh, but yeah, I'm going to go D minus for special teams. Coaching. I think coaching deserves an A. You know, they don't get the perfect. A plus because the special teams they coach that so they're going to get docked for that. But they they have just done a great job with this team over the last six quarters, especially. You can even go back to the Georgia game, the the LSU game. They they coach these guys up. They don't ever give up on the game that they're in. And these guys play hard for this staff. You can tell the last couple of weeks that the players are finally starting to buy into what Billy Napier has been preaching since the time he took this job now, almost a year ago. It'll be a year ago in two weeks when he took this job. He, this it, It's such a night and day difference, and we have come such a long way. The coaching staff, Patrick Tony, especially deserves a lot of credit after being much maligned this season. So I'm going to give him an A for this performance. So how they grade out, I'm going to go 90. This is probably the highest grade, I would say, of the season for this team. Uh, we don't. We should probably keep track in future podcasts how we grade this team out per game. Maybe we could kind of show how it, they've improved. But oh, I've got them all saved. I mean, we, you do all, okay. All the, so all the podcasts yeah. are, are recorded anyway. They're out there. That's in the true. Open, so we yeah. can all go back anyway. But well, yeah. yeah. Well, maybe like a quick uh, thing, a quick access. But yeah. So I'm gonna say 90. I think that in the they obviously are gonna get docked for the special teams, but this is a this was a solid performance, and the special teams didn't cost us the game. 
It was never going to be a that you know, in a game where it was close, it could have been a problem. But, it, you know, this was not a close game because we played so stellar on offense, because we played so stellar on defense. The coaching staff has done a great job coaching this team up. So I'm going to give them a 90 for this effort. All right. All right, Neil, let's have it. All right. Professor, um, Professor offense, offense gets slapped on the wrist because you have three drives that start inside the South Carolina 35 and you come away completely empty, pointless on two of them. That is unacceptable. That is just not acceptable. So that is going to really, really hurt the grade. So I'm going to say B for the offense because it, it was good. You know, B B is good. B is B is perfectly fine. It's just not. It's just not worthy of the A. The offensive line did its job in spades. The running holes were there. Obviously, the, the 85 yard run for ETN when you know when ETN wasn't just churning out tough yards. Aside from that 85 yard run, it was Montreal Johnson who's getting a lot of the tough yards. I think Johnson actually had 160 yards in this game, 161 maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that obviously helps. And Richardson himself was on the ground. He was perfectly fine as a runner. He didn't lose fumbles. He didn't throw any interceptions. He probably should have thrown one on the first drive of the game. He threw a really bad ball that South Carolina defenders right there, and he just drops the ball. That's not a good throw. That does count. But overall, I'm very happy with the performance. Don't get me wrong. I don't think this was a great opponent that Florida played uh, on defense. But nonetheless, when you get 500-plus yards of offense, that's something to be lauded and praised. So I'll give them – you know what? I'll give them – I'll straddle the B and B-plus line between, uh, between those two grades for the offense. Defense is going to get an A for me. Chris gave them an A+. Plus. Uh, I docked them because they gave up a third down in 17. If you wanted that A-plus grade, you, you can't give that up. You know, can't can't have it. So that's uh, – I'm still giving them like a 95, 96. It's still a, a very good – that's – no, that's better than very good. That, that's an excellent showing. But can't give them that A-plus because you got burned on that third and 17. So if you all who want to know, well, what would you what would you have to see to give them an A-plus? That's it. Don't give up third and seventeenths. Near, nearly a perfect showing by the defense, and they were perfect in the in the points department, which leads us to special teams. Absolute, complete, utter disaster. They get a four out of a hundred. They get a four. I give them a couple of points for Jeremy Crawshaw's booming punt. I give them a couple of points for Mahalik connecting on one field goal attempt. Literally everything else they could have done wrong, they they did wrong. They fumbled on a punt return. Xavier Henderson put the ball on the ground. Thankfully, Florida recovered that, so it didn't hurt them. But that's that's a no no. You can't you can't put the ball on the ground there. You got a field goal blocked. You dropped a snap on another field goal. You give up a fake punt touchdown because after your timeout, Florida calls a timeout there, presumably to get its own guys ready. And you know you'll hear about that again in the coaching grade. You fall asleep and you let their punter throw a 48-yard touchdown pass. And then in the second half, when it seems like you're about to put the game away, you give up a 40-yard punt return to presumably let South Carolina back in the game. At that point, the defense did stiffen and they held them to no points on that drive. So good for them. But that, you know, you can't give up huge punt returns like that. So just a complete and absolute calamity on the special teams part. And one that if the game was closer, as Chris said, 
could have allowed South Carolina back into the game. We are now seeing, of course, why special teams is third in the hierarchy of offense, defense, and special teams. But in close games, that absolutely could have been a major league problem and something that Billy Napier should take the steps to address next year if we have any intentions of being competitive with the likes of Georgia and Alabama. Coaching. Because of that, uh, falling asleep at the wheel in the special teams, you got you to ding coaching a little bit for that. That, you know, it, when you call a timeout on a fourth down and six, there's nothing else you can be talking about. When, especially when they're at your 48, you can't really be talking in too much detail about how you're going to, how you're going to block the punt or how you're going to set up a big return or anything like that. You gotta, you gotta know that, you know, you're up big, you're up three scores. Shane Beamer's known for his special teams prowess. He's at the very least thinking about going for something a little funny here. He may, he certainly has this crazy idea going in his head. He may or may not act on it, but you as as special teams players right now have to be cognizant of that and you have to play like it. And they did not do that. And they were asleep and that definitely dings them. Everything else the coaching staff did, I thought was really awesome. They had the guys ready to go. They came out of the gates firing, which is a big thing after they did not do that in, I mean, really every game this year. Maybe you could say A&M they did. I mean, LSU, I guess they did on offense at least, but they they did not put up a first quarter performance like the one we saw against South Carolina in any of their previous eight games. And that's on the coaching for having them believing. I thought the offensive game plan was good. I I liked a lot of the play calling. There's some here and there that I thought were a little questionable, but obviously every fan is going to have their disagreements with some play calls here and there. The coaching staff is not always going to roll out plays that the sum or the totality of the fan base agrees with. So that's to be expected. I liked the majority of it. I thought it was fine. There were no terrible play calls. There were no terrible decisions. I liked the defensive play calling. I thought Patrick Tony stepped it up and called a little bit more of an aggressive game. There were no 35 yard cushions or anything ridiculous like that. I think Patrick Tony did a better job of trusting his personnel, which I think is part of the problem or was part of the problem earlier in the year, because we've seen from Louisiana, he does believe in the concept of pressing and jamming and bump and running some of the receivers. His defense is going to go up again. So it wasn't a matter of him just not ever wanting to do it. It was a matter of him not trusting the guys he had. I think he finally realized, you know what, we might have a matchup advantage here. So let's do that. And he did it. And there was great success with it. The one play is going to ding them, so I'll take it down to uh, – uh, I'll, I'll give it that that fringe B-plus, A-minus grade again just because I think it was on the border of, of being a great A grade. But, uh, yeah, that, that special team play was bad. So, overall, I'm going to say this was – you know what, Chris? I'm going to – because I don't average them all out equally. Special teams was bad. I'm going to say it's an 85. It's a solid B. I'm very happy with it. As I've mentioned numerous times in this podcast, I do not particularly care for Spencer Rattler. I was in Columbia last year. That was the single worst fan behavior I've ever experienced. I've been to a lot of Gator games last few years. I've been to Florida, Georgia the last two years. You know, growing up in New Jersey, I've been to a lot of Giants games, Giants-Eagles, as you know, as an Eagle fan. That's a nasty rivalry. The fans really get truculent at that one. I've seen some bad stuff at those games. Never experienced anything as bad as what I saw in Columbia last year. And those fans are active on Twitter, obviously, too. So 
the knowledge that those people are angry and upset or actually even better in a state of despair over their favorite college football team right now is just a source of pure unfettered joy for me. No, not a fan of those people. They can, uh, well, they, they they can go to hell. So I'm very glad that we got that that dub over all of them, and and you know the fact that they're all miserable is is quite a satisfying feeling. So 85, very good grade, definitely room to improve, but overall very happy, very content. And Chris, we got two games left, and looking forward to seeing what this team can can turn into over the next 120 minutes of game action. Yeah, no, I, I you know I just. I'm going to enjoy these last two because there's only two weeks left to college football and then a bowl game and then we're done. And then, um, and then it's kind of sad. So, I mean, as much as like we would love to have a college football season where we're competing for championships and in the playoff, it's still sad when college football ends because we are big fans of the sport. We obviously love our alma mater, but it's, uh, it's sad when it, it, it just comes to an end and you can't enjoy it as much. I'm going to yeah. enjoy these last two. But you know what, Chris, that's why we hired Todd Golden. Yeah, how about shout out to Goldie off to a two and start here in the basketball season and didn't really have. I mean, Kennesaw was a little close, probably closer than it should have been, but a little bit, a little reversion to the mean on that one. But didn't have to stress opening night, unlike another school in the SEC did with their new head coach, who then got waxed by Wake Forest. Didn't see that, but doesn't surprise me in the least. Fun, fun fact about that: his former player Tyree Appleby went off in that game for Wake Forest. And beat his old coach. <laughs> Gotta love it. Hate to see it. Hate to see it. Love to see it. Love to see it. Well, yeah. So anyway, we that's the thing about being Florida Gator fans, Chris. That's the thing. We got basketball when football season ends. When basketball season ends, guess what? We got baseball and softball, both pretty damn good. You know me, I'm a big tennis guy, so I like following the you know the men's and women's tennis teams. They're really, really good. They lost hey, gymnastics. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean. Like pick a sport, Florida's good at it. So everything football, school. yeah, yeah, exactly. The everything school. And look, Florida is the obviously a school that football is the king. Like it, it just is. It it just it very simply is the breadwinner at the University of Florida. But we're so lucky that we do get to genuinely enjoy the other sports. It's not like we have to fake enjoy it to get us to the next season. We legitimately enjoy it because they're all. And not because they're all so good, but we genuinely enjoy them. And they're all so good that we have things to enjoy late in the season, like chasing championships. No doubt. No. It's going to be, we'll enjoy these last two. And then like Neil said, we'll, we'll turn our attention to some other Gator sports here. That's right. That's right. We got to. And we got recruiting season. Recruiting season is a different, you know, like to quote Dan Mullen, you know, it's always recruiting season at Florida, but there is a time when recruiting does pick up just a little bit more, and it's coming up here in the next month. we got National Signing Day in five weeks, and that's going to be one where we're going to certainly be paying attention to. That's Katie Turner's line. That's hey, and she, she, do you know, and I, and somebody brought the old tweet up where she was basically saying, like, next year when we run it back, no more excuses. They they took that. They took it to heart. There's no doubt about she and – um. Sierra and Bree Wade, all those girls working hard in the, in the in the football office, they took that to heart, and the results are starting to run in themselves in recruiting. And we're not done yet. We're we're not done yet at all in on this class. So it's it's exciting what we have building here in the first year of the Billy Napier era. Indeed, it is Brandon Marshall Giff. I think I think we ain't done yet. 
Y'all, that's our show. If you enjoyed listening, please give us a five-star rating and a nice review on Apple Podcasts. Definitely appreciate that as we, we keep going, heading into, as Chris called it, recruiting season. We'll be back in a couple of days to talk Florida Vandy, and then hopefully we'll have a uh, a, a win against FSU to preview uh, ahead of time. I don't know that I'm going to pick that, but hopefully we see enough against Vandy that we can uh, we, we can justify doing that. So until then, y'all, take care. Stay safe, stay healthy. Go Gators.